0: you read probably a minimum of a quarter of a million men of Persians were coming to attack the Greeks and the Greeks had just a few thousand that, of men that were, were hastily put together to, to defend um, to defend Greece against this huge huge army. Um, uh, Herodotus, the great uh, Greek historian, Estimates more like three million Persians were, were coming to conquer Greece, as I said, led by Xerxes. The Greeks were led by a Spartan by the name of uh, Leonidas, and he had a crack core of uh, 300 Spartans that were that were, you know, the 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 best that that uh, Greece had to, had to deal with, and they they set up a they set up their their place of battle at this place called uh, at uh, Thermopylae and and it was a narrow pass probably only about uh, 20 or 30 yards wide which gave them you know the, their best chance of defending cause since only so many could come through at a time and as the persians came they saw this small force relatively small and you know, thought this was going to be a mop-up exercise, and they and they the Greeks battled them back for three days, and at after three days of battling, um, the Greeks were betrayed by another Greek who showed the Persians how to um, showed them another pass to get around and completely surround them. Um, Leonidas released his army and said, "Go home." You know, go home except for the 300 Spartans who fought this army of a quarter of a million at least to the death and uh, they they lost I mean they, they completely were out of their weapons and they fought with their hands and with their teeth and 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 they sent a message back um, before they before they died <clears throat> and uh, they wrote. They they sent a message through one of the Persian stranger. Tell the Spartans that we have behaved as they wish us to, and are buried here. They they knew they were going to die. They knew they were going to die horribly, but they fought to the end. And as a result of that message and their bravery, Greece rallied. And 30 years later, <clears throat> the, the Persians were not heard of again. Xerxes was dead, and Athens and Sparta were the were the envy of the world. Um, we may all die in this battle, but we need to fight in a way that the that the that the world and our nation will take notice, and and. Uh, not give up, even when things seem really, really, really awful. And like it says in Galatians six nine, and let us not be weary in well doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. And I guess that just in this last couple of weeks I've really been tempted to faint. You know, and to say, it's over, you know. We we see what, what our government is heading to <coughs> and now is when now is when we need to fight harder than ever, and I'm not. I'm not talking <clears throat> politics. I'm just saying, this is when, when, when they find us on our shields that uh, they need to say they fought the way we wish they would have.
1: Um, isn't that kind of a? I'll be the uh-huh. advocate here. Some may be thinking, man, that's a pretty pessimistic attitude that we're going to die and at least fight to the end and be faithful and... I, see,
0: I, I, I look at it... This maybe is the macho guy I, mean, I look at a chance for glory. That it's... That we, even when things are dark... I mean, all of, the, all of the greatest victories come when things are the absolute darkest. It, uh, what it says in Philippians, where, you know, it's when it's really dark that you shine like the stars. And... Now is our chance to really shine. You know, one of the messages you gave several years ago about how to shine like stars, and I go over that every year. And it's it's we 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 shouldn't be backing away at this time. We should be advancing and and leading our leading our lives the way Christ would have us to lead them. As In Christianity,
1: generally speaking, though, our attitude has been, you know, if God is for us, everything should be going better than this. That, um, man, we ought to be having victory in Christ. And we've likened, we've turned that over to Things ought to be going well, and now things aren't going well.
0: And the and you know you can look at at biblical examples, you can look at church history examples, you can look at just history examples. And time after time, it is the ones who fought when there was no chance who made the difference. And and I mean, would you rather? Some of you are going to say, I'd rather live in neither place. But would you rather live in Texas or Mexico? Okay, well, the guys who died at the Alamo, they, you know, they did not die seeing that Texas would become its own independent republic and eventually join the United States. And, and, you know, they didn't see what was ahead. They, they saw Santa Ana and his army of thousands coming to crush them. And it's, and you know, the we are we we have we have the advantage of knowing that Christ is <laughs> going to be victorious in the end of that. But we also don't know, even though even though we do have a tendency to believe that 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 is around the corner, as in like you know the next three weeks. You know, don't bother do lesson plans for the fall because. <laughs> uh, uh, because Christ's return is imminent, you know. Rack up the credit yes. card. Rack up the credit card debt because it doesn't <laughs> matter. The, the, there's, there's a, there's that feeling that that's there. But we also need to, we also need to behave and fight in a way that we think that is going to be another two thousand years before Christ comes back, and and do what we can to. To fight the good fight. And I,
1: I think key in all this is our reason for fighting. You know, it's a matter of truth. It's a matter of I'm going to answer to God. I think too many times, well, it doesn't seem to be working, so give up. Well, working from whose perspective? You know what I mean? Uh, you have, We have to do what's right regardless, and that's character. And... Um, Take the stand for truth regardless of what it means. And uh, as we've seen throughout Baptist history, um, they didn't know that their stands would make such a difference for all of us, but they did it because it was right. And, yeah. and that's where I think as Christians today we're coming to grips with it. Why am I doing this? Is it because it's right and I love God, and I fear God, or is it because it's going to help the cause, and man, we're getting momentum going here, you know, ultimately it's going to come down to our motive for why we're doing what we're doing.
0: And isn't it, isn't it really neat that God puts in us that drive? I mean, there's a drive to to take the challenge, to to take it and 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 fly in the face of the odds. And you know, those of you who've ever I don't know if any of you have ever been in a real physical, you know, military battle, I never have. But you know the the ones that we look at, whether they be victories or defeats, and hold up are the ones that were against all odds. You know, we don't remember the Persians for coming in and go, wow, you know, they had a quarter of a million men. Sure, they won. You know, big deal. They won with a quarter of a million. We don't remember Santa Ana as the big hero for rolling over the Alamo with his thousands of men against a handful of men. Oh, boy, that's the big hero. No, you know, we remember the the against all odds victories and the defeats. Um, and, you know, whether it's in in athletics, whatever, it's you don't remember that you know when i when hayden fry writes down you know his his greatest wins is not going to be the you know the win against uh, you know northern illinois um it's going to be against michigan it's it's not going to be that i i had i coached baseball forever and had a lot of good wins you know wins where we just trounced somebody the best win i ever had was when i was coaching russell and we were awful and we played Lamoni, and the coach came over before him and said, you know, we beat you 23 years in a row. And I'm like, okay, time for that to stop. Yeah. <laughs> and But well, what were the odds? then? <coughs> and that was, that was one of my favorite wins ever. You know? Anyway, there you go. Should we go on to yeah. Baptist history? But... Fight through it. Fight through it, baby. There you go. <laughs> the, uh, this is what happens when you don't have your lesson ready. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, go, go quite a ways ahead, Jay, to uh, past Luther Rice. We were talking last week about the missionary expansion to the West. And as a result, um, we had a group called the, Partic- yeah, you know, the Particular Baptists, um, as opposed to the Peculiar Baptists, as opposed <laughs> to whatever else, I suppose. Today, they're known as the Primitive Baptists. They're still around. It's in Missouri. There's a lot. There's no Primitive Baptists in Iowa, uh, at least no They third, claim they, the name. Yeah, they claim the name, but uh, they were very. There was kind of a backlash within the, within the Baptist ranks, against this missionary outreach, which most of us just shake our heads and say, "How can you be a Baptist and be against missionary outreach?" But <clears throat> they were. And they said basically that you know there shouldn't be human efforts to re- reach the lost that that God will reach them and and yeah you know there is truth in that God chases down people who uh, who he wants um, but but it is you know still still us and uh, needless to say these guys have not um, prospered as far as you know there's lots and lots and lots of them. Um, the, But uh, anyway, th- there was a backlash. You got any more to, add to that? Just
1: terms you may identify with with these particular Baptists is uh, hyper-Calvinism, that uh, God is going to save people and he doesn't need us talking to them. He doesn't need us doing anything. And you look throughout history. Um, we may have mentioned before... In England, this uh, realm of thinking really came into prominence, and what was strong um, godly influence there over a span of 50 years really deteriorated because, for example, John Gill, who many, you're seeing a renewal of people reading his materials now, wrote much and was a, was a strong calvinist uh, he pastored a church for 50 years and took it from a a large thriving church he would preach but would never extend the gospel invitation to anyone and that church by the time he was done with it was down to a handful of people and This is foundational to everything that we're we're talking about, and and it started uh, cropping up here. And you're seeing it cropping up in a lot of places in our society today. And um, the missionary endeavors throughout history have been what is fueled the work of Christ
0: and when he says a large church to a small church he's talking like thousands down to less than 20
1: right right okay
0: how to kill a church in five easy steps and uh, just amazing that that people are reading his stuff going yeah this is stuff what,
1: that, I mean <laughs> you know and the same is true whether we embrace that or not if we are not burdened for the lost it kills churches. I mean, we're seeing it all over. And it, it ought to be a conviction to us that we need to be individually burdened for the loss.
0: Another issue that tore apart our country, but, but uh, we fought through was slavery. And if you can go past uh, Campbell, there you go. He's got this down. Okay, uh, slavery, of course, was a big issue in many Baptists. Uh, were slave owners um, and many slaves were Baptists as well. In fact, uh, um, going to the next slide Jay the, um, but in Virginia some of them were very much opposed to slavery keep going, including John Leland who pastor talked about and even pastors and missionaries were slave owners uh, a large a large number they didn't they didn't see a Conflict between the two, and it's interesting because you can keep going, Jay. The this is a, this is a 1860, the year before the Civil War. Actual photograph of a uh, slave um, of a service, uh, and in this particular service, primarily you see a lot of black people. But off to the left, there are two uh, whites uh, that are w- worshiping there. Uh, and the pastor you see up front is, is a uh, African-American. And so you have um, church was one area in which, yeah, there still was the slave master thing, but it wasn't nearly as pronounced as it was in the rest of society. And uh, many slaves, uh, you know, sought the... Many many slaves came to know Christ. I mean, and and it was
1: as as early as 1793. Um, figures that they have, they estimate there were like 73,000 Baptists in America, and of that, they said 19,000 of them were black. And um, the missionary endeavor went across the board, and it it. It was a strange paradox that they had. Um, And it was some some of of the Baptist preachers, even in the South, uh, started raising up issues regarding the slavery issue long before the Civil War. And we'll get to it here. The division that came in in Baptist circles, all that came down before the Civil War was an
0: issue. Okay, and... Uh, it was in 1845, uh, I think it was, Jay. Maybe. Next one. There you go. No. All right. In, yeah, in 1845, the General Missionary Convention, the, the Triennial Convention, voted to uh, no longer allow slave owners to be missionaries. And this was a, this was a big issue. And so that year... The Southern Baptist Convention was organized in 1845. for For the, it was a it was a missionary organization, and it it had to be or it was founded because it was a place where um, slaveholders could support missions and be missionaries. And there were obviously a lot of people in the south. I mean. What was it? One in seven Southerners owned slaves. I mean, it wasn't that many. Uh, that you had individuals who owned hundreds of slaves, but most, you know, the average average person living in South Carolina didn't own didn't own slaves. But um, they, this, the, the Southern Baptist Convention was formed as a direct result of of uh, of this. Now we we go down the line here, and I don't have this in the slide at all, Sam. What was the name of the confession? The it's the Philadelphia confession. The no, yeah, I think it was okay. The, there was a there was a confession that was brought up at the Triennial Convention, and it w- it was it was basic. It was a basic belief. We believe this, this, and this, and. Um, and the, at the when, he got, when it was presented, um, the conservative wing of the Baptist, you know, went crazy, cheered, and everything and said, "Yeah, this this is great. This is what we want. We want a confession of our faith that says it was a statement a statement of faith." And um, I'm going to have to get this. I'm going to have to get it out. But one one of the more famous Baptist Americans who um, Got up at that point and said, "Was that a confession of faith?" I thought it was something that was just written on the back of a Western Union telegram. And then the liberal wing of the Baptists went crazy, and and at that point um, we had the split uh, among the Northern Baptists, um, and that's where where we get the American Baptists today, where the liberals that went went that way and and if you're very familiar with very many american baptist churches today there there's the quite liberal very, very very liberal organization and the southern baptists on the other hand embraced this confession
1: and going going back to 1845 there because we're going to be referring to these various conventions as we go on leading up um, the Southern, again, it was all started over missions, and the Triennial, as Mark said, said no, we're not going to support anybody if they if they own slaves or embrace that. So, the Southern Baptist Convention started, and the American Baptist Missionary Union then carried on what the Triennial did before. And again, their both of their purposes were missions. And there were many people in churches that maintained membership in both of these for a while, um, thinking that, you know, I can see both sides of this and and we want to support various ones. And um, each of the churches held their, their various, again, the churches were independent, held their various connections to the organizations, but uh, as far as, as baptist unity it was never the same since that time and and again the timeline 1845 the civil war wasn't 16 years off yeah so this was an issue that was boiling absolutely in in the churches and we're going to see here was a fork in the road and um we're going to start showing you from these various forks where various things have come about
0: many just as a many of the baptist churches in the district of columbia today are both members of the american baptist church and the southern baptist is that church. right there was a a decision made that any you know there there are obviously some independent churches but but the, but they that since it's the nation's capital they wouldn't they'd be members of both. Anyway, they're kinda of weird.
1: All right. You go. know, people often ask why are there so many churches? And um, in the next weeks you're gonna start seeing the things that made some of these things come about, why there are so many churches and what sprang off from some of these and here was one of the major forks in the road, too.
0: The the next thing we want to get into are the the cults, I think, Jay. Um, and one of the big ones, of course, is Mormonism. Mormonism started by uh, Joseph Smith. This picture of Joseph Smith. Um, and he had really unusual beliefs, to say the least. It's kind of interesting when you talk to people who who aren't too aware just how how unusual the doctrines of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints is. Go on to the next slide, we're gonna see if this works, Jay. Now look at point at his picture. Nope, too far. I I go back. if you put the the Nope, not gonna work, huh? Bummer, man. I had a uh, uh ser- I had a really cool Thing that works on my computer, so if you want to see my computer, even it, it, it goes to a, a cartoon about uh, Mormonism and and what they believe, but but the basic beliefs of Mormonism were were are way off. That that back um, way back when um, all these stars in the universe each have their own god, and that. The god of earth is a god named Elohim. And Elohim had um, sons, including two. His two most important sons were Jesus and Lucifer. And when they decided to, to uh, populate earth, they had uh, two thoughts. Uh, Lu- Lucifer's, Lucifer's, Lucifer's <laughs> thought was that um, he would rule earth with a iron fist and that they would do what he said and that, that people would be you know, forced to, to believe in him. Jesus came up with the, with the doctrine of, of free, uh, of, of free will. And Elohim went with, with Jesus's plan and, and said, uh, you know, we're going to have the, we're going to have the free will. And, that's how that's how uh, our planet came about, and, and how people came about. That um, that there were in heaven three, or there were there were groups of, of spirits, um, and that those who believed in in Jesus and, and uh, the the angels who believed in Jesus would eventually be born here on Earth, and would become the white people. The angels who went, sided with Luther, Lucifer, which was a third of them, became the demons, and they were never allowed to have bodies. And the uh, those who stayed neutral in the conflict between Jesus and Lucifer became the black people. That's Mormon theology, um, which I doubt that the black Baptists would be real happy about. The, uh, um, but that that's the Mormon theology. And that... Um, at at one point jesus um, when it when there's the story of this when it says in the bible about you know the three days that jesus was um, in the grave that he came to america and ministered here and and uh, there there ended up being a revolt between the israelites who you know that we talked before about you got the Judah and Benjamin were the southern kingdom, and the northern kingdom, the other ten tribes kind of just disappeared. Well, they came to America, apparently, and uh, fought, fought it out here with the, with the Native Americans. Eventually, the Native Americans defeated them, killed them all, but the last one, the last guy, wrote it all out on uh, golden plates of what, what all this history was and buried it, and Joseph Smith found it. Um, Interestingly enough, most many of the uh, temple rituals and so forth, um, Joseph Smith had been a Mason, and most of the temple uh, rituals are almost identical to what the Masonic rituals are, which is just really but it's totally a coincidence. that uh, Not a real imaginative guy, actually, as far as coming up with new ideas. But uh, Mormonism just... Whew, that's out there. It's way, 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 way out there. Yeah. How far is uh used to be our LDS church, but now that it's. True. How far off are they? From that? There, what happened was Joseph. when Joseph Smith died, um, when he was killed and was in Nauvoo, I think, um, the, the Church of Jesus Christ Latter day Saints split. A bunch of them went with Brigham Young on out to Utah and, went, and the. And uh, a larger number stayed in this area, you know, uh, northern Missouri, southern Iowa, um, with uh, Joseph Smith's son, uh, Joseph Smith Third, And that, his followers became their, the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The Aren't they headquartered in Liberty? I think they are, um, or Independence. Um, the... Both, both the Mormons and the reorganized Mormons, the, the community of Christ, believe that when Jesus returns, he's going to be, return to Independence, Missouri, which uh, is really interesting. Uh, <laughs> the New Jerusalem, Independence. Independence is a nice town, as good as any, I guess. The, uh, the, the, and of course, uh, but as far as what the, the community of Christ Doctrines are today. I, I don't know a whole lot. Uh, do you know much about like the local community of Christ Church? The the biggest I, split. Do I, you got something?
1: Well, I think the biggest issue was a political issue over power yeah. from the very beginning, and they really were very similar from the beginning. Now over the years. Um I don't know this for a fact, but changing their name from reorganized Church of Latter day Saints is a kind of a way of distancing themselves from the Mormons. A community of Christ, it goes back to what we talked, you know, what does that say? It doesn't tell you anything. No, it doesn't. And um so that's kind of what is done. But it it it's interesting. See, the spiritual warfare that is going on as America is being settled in, and in the early 1800s where Mormonism started and we're going to look at a couple others here. I mean, the gospel was really being preached but Satan's in planting the tares amongst the wheat. And um, it's always been the same, that spiritual warfare. But... um There were, you know, there were great missionary endeavors and there were great endeavors of evil as well. And uh, Kentucky had great missionary endeavors, but there were a lot of wicked people that um, settled in Kentucky to take over and set up their wickedness. And um, the spiritual warfare in this Mormonism is,
0: I always thought it was interesting that Lamoni has always been a real stronghold of the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And in fact, Braceland College is a uh, reorganized Mormon college. And Lamoni, just in general, has been a strong strong center. Uh, Leonard Boswell from that area right there and Leonard Boswell is a reorganized Mormon. Um, but I always thought it was kind of funny that that the name of the teams at, at Graceland are the Saints, and the name of Lamoni High School's teams are the Demons. <laughs> and I said, like, how incredibly appropriate. The uh, Because because of the, you know, the conflict that's there all the time. All the time. The uh, the, the the other group that popped up at a real similar time, uh, close time, was Jehovah Witnesses. And... So go ahead to the next one. Is uh, they were founded by a guy by the name of Charles Russell and later led by Joseph Rutherford. Go ahead. This one's got several here. Um, the Rutherford was born right down here in Missouri in Boonville, and to a he was raised as a Baptist. And he's got a really interesting story. Um, he was he he was a uh, became a lawyer. Be, Became a judge, and he was, as I said, he was raised a Baptist, but became an atheist. He said, "I don't believe any of this stuff. It's all a bunch of hoo-ha." And, and but as he was um, a young man trying to make make his way in the world, he sold encyclopedias, and uh, he he uh, went door to door, and he said, "If I ever become wealthy, if I ever you know have my own." You know, relatively wealthy. I will. I don't care who it is. Any book salesman shows up at my door, I'm going to buy what they have. And um, he, he was an atheist. Knocked on the door. Here's somebody from the Watchtower Society, and he bought their material, uh, and read it, and became a Jehovah's Witness, and became an incredibly eloquent spokesman for the for the Jehovah's Witness. Um, and uh, and was the the guy who really put him on the map as far as pushing pushing the beliefs of the Jehovah's Witness. Now, the Jehovah's Witness, go ahead, Jay. I think I've got. Uh, they deny the the deity of Christ. They deny the existence of heaven and hell, and they de- de- deny uh, the resurrection, which are all you know. That's pretty. Uh, it's pretty major stuff to, to uh, be denying. And inter- one other just interesting thing, I think it's probably about time to wrap up, that, that during, uh, during World War I, uh, he was and his followers um, were uh, arrested and put in jail for time for sending the watchtower stuff through the mail. Because it was thought to be seditious, and in the time of the the war, that it, you couldn't send anything that was anti-American through the through the uh, through the mail, and since it denied many of the Christian principles, it was it was in that interesting that in during eighteen seventeen eighteen 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 nineteen that if you sent anti-Christian materials to the mail was seen to be anti-American. Hmm. And
1: they also predicted that Christ would return in 1914. And when he didn't, they modified their teaching that he returned in spirit. And uh, he's in the atmosphere here. And, you know, when when you get in and look at these man-made things... um. Mormonism, Joseph Smith had to take uh, uh, what he found in his writings, the Book of Mormon, to an English professor to have him correct the the English in it so he could put it out as the Book of Mormon. God didn't know English good enough to get it right. And, um, you know, it's things just the more you see, the more you begin to see how important it is for us to be students of the Word, to recognize uh, the counterfeits because we know the truth. And um, there's always been that battle. There's always been the counterfeits. And uh, there are plenty of them here today. And you know, it's it's amazing, Mormonism today, of course. they're very missionary-minded, that's very. for sure. And, um, and they really... Prey on people that that have some
0: religious background but don't know the word. And the largest single group yep. of converts to Mormonism are Baptists. That's right. Which is just amazing. I just throw I know that when you say Mormonism and old Mormonism especially, the thing that pops into mind is polygamy. And I was reading from Something from Brigham Young, this, Brigham Young University this week, and they have confirmed that Joseph Smith had at least 33 wives, and uh, the youngest that they found so far is 14, uh, when he was in his 40s or upper thir- in his 30s rather, and um, he had several. He had a, he had a few uh, ladies who were, uh, you know, older ladies in their. Um, I say older, older than 14. I mean, they weren't all.
1: Um,
0: but I think, I think there was one lady who was in her 50s. But all of the older ladies, I'm going to say the ladies who were like mid-30s up, they were all already married. I mean, they were married to somebody else, and he came in and married them as well. And, you know, and they continued to live with their husband when he was in the neighborhood. Um, it was weird. It was weird stuff. Is what it was, and it really threw flew into the face of the idea of the idea of polygamy in the first place was that if if there was a widow, and they needed somebody to you know take care of them that you could they could marry somebody who was already married and th- there would be you know somebody who would that's not who he married he didn't marry any widows. And out of his 33 wives, they, none of them were widows. They were either young girls or somebody who he was attracted to that was already married. And
1: and they have painted the image that they're very very family-oriented. So, well, let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be wise in representing you in these days. And may we truly shine brightly in the midst of darkness, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen.